since learning the truth about alcohol over four years ago, I've become pretty skeptical about anything that seems too good to be true. You know, like alcohol. If you're like me and you can spot a too good to be true health hack from a mile away, congrats, you're a skeptic too. Ritual knows that every good skeptic deserves a multivitamin that exceeds our standards. I take Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus every morning because it has high quality and traceable key ingredients in clean, bioavailable forms. It's gentle on an empty stomach and has a minty essence in every bottle that helps make taking my multis actually enjoyable. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com forward slash sober mom. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com forward slash sober mom for 25% off. All right, you guys, I am currently struggling with a pinched nerve in my neck. And if you have ever had one, you know the pain. So I am feeling super thankful for today's sponsor, Tanasi. Tanasi's CBD, CBDA is two times better than CBD alone and better than over-the-counter ibuprofen, acetaminophen, and aspirin. It helps soothe and relieve my aches and pains, like my pinched nerve, and it's great for sleep and anxiety, so I put it on right before bed. Tanasi was discovered by a team of chemists and biologists at Middle Tennessee State University, and 5% of all revenue is given back to the university partner for ongoing research. It is THC-free and comes in a range of products. I love the topicals, but you can also choose from soft gels, gummies, and tinctures. Satisfaction is guaranteed. Try Tanasi for 30 days, and if you don't love it, you get a full refund. Go to Tanasi.com and use code MOM to get 25% off at checkout. That's T-A-N-A-S-I.com to get 25% off your first order with promo code MOM. Hi, welcome to the Sober Mom Life podcast. I'm your host, Suzanne, of My Kind of Sweet and the Sober Mom Life on Instagram. If you are a mama who has questioned your relationship with alcohol at times, if you're wondering if maybe it's making motherhood harder, this is for you. I will be having candid, honest, funny conversations with other moms who have also thought, hmm, maybe motherhood is better without alcohol. Is it possible? We'll chat and we'll talk about all things sobriety and how we've found freedom in sobriety. I don't consider myself an alcoholic. You don't have to either. And maybe life is brighter without alcohol. I hope you will join us on this journey and I'm so excited to get started. Hello, welcome back. Happy Monday. Wow, I sounded like a, you know, a 90s disc jockey there. Hello and welcome back to Sober Mom Life FM. <laughs> Hi. How are you doing? We are in the swing of spooky season and I'm excited for next week's episode because it's all going to be about Halloween. Audrey and I are going to tell our tales of Halloween's past. Whew. Some hot messes there, and then talk about sober Halloween and how we're all about it. This week, though, if you are a fan of HGTV, then you know today's guest. Mina Starziak Hawk is the star of Good Bones on HGTV. And you might not know that she also lives a sober lifestyle. She has a podcast, Mina AF, although I do believe that instead of alcohol free, it means as fuck. Which, you know, in this part of the internet, it means both. So AF means alcohol-free and as fuck. But I listened to her episode with her husband, which I'm going to link in the show notes. And he stopped drinking. And it was a really great conversation about how she talked to him about his drinking, how she joined him in the sobriety journey. And yeah, I, I love this conversation. It's refreshing. It's real. So... I hope you enjoy this episode. Just a quick note. Remember, if you like the podcast, rate and review it. It helps so much. You know, give it five stars. 
put a little review up there, say hi. You can also leave a question in the review, in a five-star review, and I'll answer it in a podcast episode. I keep forgetting to mention that. And if you're looking for more community and connection in sobriety or in early sobriety, or just if you're sober curious, come and join us in the Sober Mom Life Cafe. I'm telling you, it's the best, most supportive, funny, just overall badass group of women ever. $15 a month, you get so much. You get bonus podcast episodes. You get four plus Zoom support meetings. You get exclusive Discord chat where the ladies connect with each other all day long. You get book club monthly. You get monthly Sunday topic meetings. You get a chance to share your story on the Real Sober Mom Chats, which I know you guys love. You get so much. And you get to chat with me, which, you know, I don't know. Is that a draw? question mark. Okay. I hope you enjoy this episode with Mina Starziak Hawk and just remember to keep going. Okay. Bye. Mina, welcome to the Sober Mom Life podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. I know. I'm so excited to have you. I have to tell you, like, I think when you first shared your sobriety and that you had kind of given up drinking. I kept getting sent your podcast and your posts and my people were like, you have to have her on. (laughs) And then I started looking and I started listening to your podcast. I was like, you're right. I do have to have you on. So thank you. Well, I'm so glad we have a shared listener base that knew to connect us. I know. Exactly. So I've been doing a little bit of a deep dive into your podcast. I listened to your episode with your husband. It's called Why We Went Sober. And first of all, I mean, his story and his family's story is like heartbreaking. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, because you did allude in that episode kind of about how you grew up and your experience with alcohol and how it was different even as an adult, like how your relationship was different with alcohol. So why don't you tell us kind of your experience growing up with alcohol and how it affected that? Yeah, I think while we both kind of ended up in the same place Ours was very different. Like alcohol existed in his house. He never saw it. He didn't really know it was there. So when it like appeared and caused problems, the the rug was pulled out from under him. Whereas I think growing up, my extended family, alcohol was just, I think probably what most people think and see and do. Like it's just there. And I didn't really notice anything as a child. There weren't like, I don't know, I guess I was about to say there weren't really problems. Like it, it did cause problems. Yeah. But as a child, I didn't know that alcohol was probably exacerbating a lot of the problems that were yes. existing for um, my parents, their various husbands or wives at various times. And as an adult, I can definitely look back and be like, yeah, no, that would have been a bad situation, but it got way worse because it was fueled by alcohol. Yeah. It's like as a kid – my situation was kind of the same because there was chaos, right? And like I couldn't point to be like, oh, you guys, duh, it's because of the alcohol. <laughs> like little seven-year-old me isn't going to know that. But I still could feel – I could feel like when my dad drank too much, it felt unsafe. It felt chaotic. I didn't know that that's what it was. But kids are very perceptive. Well, and yeah, and mine was – not like mom or dad is drinking so I don't feel safe. Like I I didn't even have that connection. It was just, I don't know. It's kind of hard to explain. I think as I got a little bit older and into high school, I still never, looking back, put together, I saw mom or dad drink and then X happened or I saw mom and dad drink and I felt unsafe. Like that was never something that happened in my brain. But I also think it just kind of culminated in who I was like as a young adult. Like really nothing is abnormal to me. I have very few boundaries, probably uh, to an unhealthy level. But it's probably because so many things were normalized, I guess, when I was younger. And not anything – it's weird because people think if you have – like if you're not drinking, you have to have a drinking problem or you personally had to have some trauma. Like I never had an experience where like – my dad got drunk and he hit me or, you know, a a drunk uncle touched me or like nothing ever anything like that. 
So there's not this like trauma that you can point to that's like, okay, there was a trauma. I know there was a problem. I need to fix the problem. And this is what I'm going to do. And I think when it's just kind of more abstract, it's hard for people to understand. Yeah. And we even had some feedback on the episode with Steve, where someone who clearly didn't listen to the episode, they just take these nice like clickbait things that People Magazine or Today post. And they're like, oh my gosh, this makes so much sense that Steve's parents were alcoholics. Like he's so awkward on the show or in closed off. I'm like, what the what? F are you guys talking about? First of all, they're dicks because if that's what they got from that, like, yeah, they didn't well, they listen, didn't to, listen that. to it probably. No. And so many people that do make comments on mine other people will chime in and be like, did you actually listen? Because that's not what they said. And they're like, no, I didn't listen because I'm not going to waste the time. And they actually say that, which is shocking. Yeah, that is shocking. <laughs> I think it's hard when it's not this black and white thing. And I always talk about, you know, my drinking, I mean, from the outside wasn't a problem. And yeah. I always say, but alcohol is a problem. It's literally a poison. <laughs> It's a literally really, really one bad. One that I guys. enjoyed for a very long time. And one that like I'm not in the position where if it was like when it gets cold, a Manhattan, like that's where my brain goes. Like I would love a Manhattan. And I might have one this winter and it might taste good or it might taste gross. I don't know. Wine tastes gross to me now. Oh, so gross. Yeah. Once you're away from it, you could taste the ethanol. It's like when you first drink and you're like, okay, I just got to get over that this really tastes like my body is being yeah. like, what the hell are you trying to put into me? Yeah. Well, and as an adult, I'm probably one of few adults. I've never actually like tried smoking a cigarette. And because I missed the boat on it being like the cool thing when you're like in high school or college, I'm sure like people get sick when they smoke a cigarette for the first time, but then you keep doing it because it becomes normalized. If I were to do that now as an adult, I probably would do it once and be like, this is terrible. I'm never doing that again yeah. because I have that you know, depth perception as an adult and not the need to fit in or not the need to feel cool and it be the norm. But I think people don't really look at drinking the same as they do maybe like cigarette smoking because no, and it's, you don't yeah. smoke a cigarette and wreck your car or something like that. Totally. And it's totally the same. And we keep doing it because it's highly addictive. Right. Yes. And so like you're just like, okay, I remember like after every pregnancy, you have how many kids do you have? Two? Two. Yeah. Okay. Like after every I have three. And after every one, I was like, I just gotta get past this point where alcohol tastes like alcohol. Oh yeah. No, people were bringing me like bottles of rose in the hospital. And I'm like, yeah. I was like, I don't know if this is allowed, but my milk's not coming out, so we're doing this. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Like when you kind of step out of the cult, I feel like it's a cult. Let's just call it what it is, guys. Drinking is People a cult. People that drink probably think the non-drinkers are also a cult. <laughs> I know. I kind of feel like that sometimes too when I am like leading my meetings or whatever. I'm like, okay, but if you're going to be in a cult, this one's a better one. Yeah. It's a healthier one. Yeah, for it's sure. a healthier one. And like, you know, think critically and like ask questions and all of those things. And yeah, you're not going to get a DUI. So yeah, <laughs> there's that. So when did you start drinking? Oh, God, I was young. You were? I drank way more in high school than I ever did in college. Oh, wow. And I think, again, it's because it was just normalized in my house. And so my parents yeah. couldn't, I mean, they should have and could have been like, you're not allowed to do that. And they did. I'm sure they did say that. But I have a brother that's a year older and a year younger. So we were in a smaller private high school. And I mean, my drinking was nothing compared to like the thousands of their parents' dollars that a lot of kids at my school were spending on cocaine every week. I've never done cocaine either. Like I can barely handle caffeine. So I'd probably be a, a psychopath. Same. I never did it because I thought I would like it. And I was like, I feel like I will like it too much. Yeah. <laughs> That's what my mom said. She was like, I did it once and I never did it again because I knew I'd never stop. Yeah. But my family was always like, we always had the Indy 500 race party and there was my dad's Long Island mixture there. And it went from like sneaking Long Island to like, okay, it's the weekend, whatever. Like, we know you're doing it. At least you're here and you're safe to this like slippery slope of just like, that's what we would do every weekend. And I am by no means proud of it, but like we were kind of the party house and there were three of us, me and my two brothers. So it, we would have parties while like my dad was out of town. My parents were divorced. I don't like recall exactly where he was on these various parties, but yeah. me and my girlfriends like had a running contest. Like, okay, every weekend we're going to see if we could beat the amount of shots we took last weekend, <laughs> which is 
absolutely insane. <laughs> insane. But it's also like the culture in the time too. Yeah. I mean, we would get up into like the high 20s. Like we oh would mark gosh. them on our we would mark them on our arms because we're like, we're gonna be so drunk, we're not gonna remember if we don't yeah. write this down. Yeah, you're like, we need some record keeping here. This is yeah. very serious. Yeah. And by the grace of God, I made it through high school without hurting someone else or hurting myself and went into college. And by then I was like, y'all just chill the F out. Like it's not that cool. It's not that fun. I've been there, done that. But then I had a lot of friends that I met there that were much more sheltered and that had much more like tight ships ran at home. They were doing in college, which was now legal, what I had done in high school and injuring themselves and hurting others. Like one of my, one of my poor roommates, two years in a row, busted out a tooth <gasps> on um, like the end of the year party, like no. walking on a sidewalk and slipped and busted her tooth out like right before her parents came because it was the end of the year. And I'm like, no, was it the same tooth both times? Uh, I don't know. I know it was the front ones, but I don't oh know if it was the gosh. same front ones. Oh, my God. Well, where'd you go to college? I went to IU, which is definitely known to be a party school. Okay. I went to college in Green Bay, and it's, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, college is. Well, yeah, the whole college wow. culture. I mean, yeah, the it's different drinking. every college, but like my brother went to Purdue and they have what they call breakfast club, which a lot of colleges have. And you just get up at like 7 a.m. and start drinking and you drink all day. It's bizarre. It is bizarre. What I think is super interesting now is that being sober has kind of become trendy, which makes it easier to be sober. Mm -hmm. But it's even trendy in like high school and college, like yes. to be healthy and fit and not drink and drink your AG1 and, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. I, I always say like Gen Z, I think, has a lot figured out. I do think they're they're skewing more pills and drugs and like vape and fentanyl and stuff like that, which is really fucking scary And that I can't like. Fentanyl is terrifying. Oh my God, terrifying. But as far as like binge drinking, like, you know, I'm Gen X, I'm 43. And so when I was growing up, we were not warned about alcohol. It mm -hmm. was, this is your brain on drugs and it was the egg. And I was like, okay, cool. So I'm not going to do drugs, but alcohol is like fair game. And I was like, no, wait. Yeah. I think I'm technically a millennial. I'm 39 this year. But I feel like I'm an old soul and feel more Gen X. Okay. I am like either the eldest – because I'm 1980. And I think the cutoff for Gen X is 1980. I definitely relate way more to Gen X than yeah. millennial. millennial. Like I, I, I am like, you know, latchkey kid – divorced parents. We take care of our shit. Like no one can fuck with us. <laughs> like yeah, we're yeah. like super tough. We got it. Like it, we're the forgotten generation. <laughs> like we're fine. <laughs> my husband and I talk about it sometime and I think about it now like if my kids were on a podcast 30 years from now talking about like because we don't drink in our house, but it's just not really even a conversation. We did when they were younger and like, you know, Jack when he was two would be like, he would want whatever was in our cup and yeah. you know, mine was probably an old-fashioned or Manhattan. I'd let him stick a finger in it and try it, hoping he'd just not like it and leave me alone. And he was like, give me more. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Their taste buds are wild. And because it was never a problem, it just slowly ceased to exist. I'm just interested to see how it'll play out for them as far as, you know, when they want to try it. Because I feel like, you know, as adolescents, you just want to like rage against the machine, whatever that is. Yeah. And there's like really nothing to rage against with us, but they'll find something. I Lord knows they'll find something. <laughs> right. I know. It is such an interesting conversation because I think our kids are growing up just so differently than, than we did. I know mine are too. My husband still drinks, but not a lot at all. My oldest is nine. And so it is kind of a conversation and she's asking about it and she's like, ew, alcohol, you know, like daddy, yeah. ew. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. And we always talk on this podcast and in the group and everything about like, how are we going to talk to our kids about alcohol? Because it's going to come up. It's going to be a conversation. Yeah. I know this is really silly, but there's so much pressure. Like every day I'm like, okay, did what I just do mess up my kid for the rest of their life? Oh, totally. But the habits that you establish. Yesterday, our old nanny, who we adore and is still a part of our kids' lives, we have two that are still a part of our kids' lives, picked up the kids from school as a surprise and took them to get ice cream and took them to feed the ducks. And she sent us a picture and Jack is 
holding two loaves of bread. And I was like, I think y'all might have gone a little overboard <laughs> a on the bread. bread. Yeah. And she said he wanted to buy a loaf of bread because you guys don't keep bread at home. And we don't. Oh. Just because we don't eat sandwiches and we like we don't eat toast, not because we're we're not low carb diet. We have like a lot of protein bars and stuff like that. But even that, and it got me thinking to one of like my best friends in college, after she was done working out, she would chug milk. And I'm like, that is disgusting. Drink a Gatorade. What is up with you? But that's how she grew up. Yes. Like playing sports, chugging milk and did it into like she's an adult. She's my age. And that's what's her go-to now. And the littlest things, and this is why I think having healthy like diets as a kid and like showing that to your kids is so important. But I'm like, oh my God, have I been withholding sandwiches from my children? <laughs> yeah, he's going to have like sandwich trauma. <laughs> he's going to sit down and the therapist is going to be like, okay, so let's talk about your childhood. He's going to be like, we got to start. Bread. We got to start with the bread. I got to talk about my sandwich <laughs> trauma. <laughs> it is true. And like you could go down those rabbit holes and feel like there's so much pressure. Like with my first, I was like, I feel like one wrong move and I'm going to screw her up for life. Hence why I went on Zoloft because I'm like, I can't deal with that much pressure. Like that's just too much. And it's just not true too. Yeah. I mean, they're for, we're sure going to mess them up in for ways. For sure. But I just hopefully they're in ways that don't distance them. My goal is to raise like kind humans and humans that want to hang out with me once they don't have to. Yes. That's what I would love. Well, and I love what your husband said about like the reason that he stopped drinking. And, you know, he has his own past and his, his own story and family story with it. And if you guys go listen to that episode because it's incredible and incredibly brave and vulnerable. But he said like alcohol will not be a reason that he doesn't have a relationship with his kids. Yeah. And like I think if that's the goal – that makes it a lot easier to give up alcohol. Yeah. Because I think a lot of times when we think about giving up alcohol, it feels like a sacrifice and it doesn't feel like a privilege. And I'm telling you, giving up alcohol is the biggest privilege. Sobriety is the biggest privilege. Well, and I think so many people, like there's so many reasons to do it. My husband, I think, didn't see it as a problem, even though those same feelings were there that like alcohol caused such a distance between him and his parents. It was when he got really into health and fitness and there was a couple reasons that were starting to multiply for him where he was like, okay, this is a decision I'm going to make. But I think people think they have to have like crashed their car into someone else's home to think that it's something they should think about giving up. But for me, it was just like, okay, if you aren't like, I just won't because it's easier for me. Yeah. And then there's all these amazing, like, I would have two glasses of wine and I'd be hung over the next day because I'm old. It happened like the day I turned 25. And with kids, that's hard and it sucks. And yes. like mornings are hard enough now, but they're so much easier if I'm not miserable because I'm hung over. So even just like simple things like that, you don't have to feel like you have a problem to be like, maybe I don't want to do this anymore. Totally. Like you don't have to wait to lose more. And that's the thing with alcohol. Like if you're going to keep it in your life and drink consistently, you're going to end up drinking more and more and more and more and more because it's addictive, right? It's like as addictive as nicotine and all of the, all the bad shit. And you're going to lose more. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's kind of where I got where I was like, I just don't want to lose more. Like I lost a morning on the couch when I had like, you know, a three-month-old, a two-and-a-half-year-old, and a five-year-old. And I saw yeah. them all like going on around me and my full life and everything I'd always wanted, and I wasn't able to participate. I was like, wait, this is like directly tied to this substance. So let's just figure out what this shit is. Well, and I think once people start educating – like I think people avoid educating themselves on it because once they know the education, like then it's really hard to kind of make – the same decision over and over again. Yeah. But it's something like, I, th I think Huberman probably has a full episode about it, but the high is like after drink two, it doesn't get any better. You're just still chasing how good you feel like at drink two. So you never stop. Yeah. The, and then that's when it creates the problem. And just most people can't stop at drink two. They're like, this feels good. I'll stop here and I'll stay here. 
is just not really most human nature. No, it's not. And like we have it set up like, well, I just want to drink like normally. You guys, I say that in big quotes. And it's like, okay, well, drinking normally, the typical drinker, like if you're going to talk about like generally speaking, what a typical drinker does is drink too much, take some time off, have some shame about it. Like, okay, create some boundaries, set some rules, try to moderate, successful moderation for a while, and then drink too much. Like, okay, oh, take okay, some I'm time doing off. good. I can right. have one more. I've been yeah. fine. Yeah. Like I'm not quote unquote that bad. Yeah. And like when you just take the focus off you, like it's nothing to do with you. Mm-mm. It's just like cigarettes. Like no, you're not that bad. Cigarettes are. Yeah. Once you shift from like the person to the substance, I feel like it becomes a lot easier to be like, oh, right. Like, I'm not bad. This thing is bad. Yeah, this thing is bad. And like, it's not a weakness if you get addicted because, hello, it's very addicting. Yeah, it's made to do that. Yeah, that's what it's designed to do. Mm -hmm. Okay, so then when you, because you had a had a conversation with your husband, which I think, guys, I'm going to say keep going back to listen to that episode because you kind of talking about how you approached him and his drinking and how you did it. We have a lot of women on here whose partners still drink. It's hard slash almost impossible to talk to someone else about their drinking, Mm -hmm. right? And so you give like really good tips about how you were able to do it. And how your husband was able to hear it and not be defensive. Yeah. I mean, I think it was challenging. So I had – I didn't feel like I was misremembering because our memories are fallible. And we just make yeah. we make shit up. Totally. We tell our own stories. So I actually did, like in the notes in my phone, kind of keep track so I wasn't confused or I wasn't, you know, uh, exacerbating a situation that wasn't there. Yeah. And – I mean, when I came up to him, I was like, I want to talk to you about something. Like, you got to set the stage. I want to talk to you about something. It's probably something that you're going to feel defensive about. And it's also really important to me. I want to start the conversation with saying, like, I would like to say these things. And then I would really like you to take some time to process through the knee-jerk reaction, which is probably going to be anger, frustration, defensiveness, before we can like actually have a conversation about this. The other thing I want to bring to the table is I have some triggers that I'm dealing with here. Alcohol has triggers for me. So these things I'm going to say, I don't feel like are causing problems in our home, our finances, or how we're raising our children right now. But it is a trigger that scares me for the long term. So I want to talk to you about this. For the last amount of days, you've had more than two drinks a day or there hasn't, whatever it was, they're like, there hasn't been a day where you haven't had a drink. You've not gotten drunk. You've not blacked out. You've not, you know, treated the kids unkindly, but it's something that I don't know if you're aware of. So, you know, I want to make you aware of. And you can see like the visceral reaction and it is like tightening up because I think our human nature is to defend ourselves and like, you don't want to think you made the wrong choice or a choice that your partner is hurt by. But I think if you can present it in a way that like that they can receive the information, I think is the most important thing. And in a way where you can say like what I want to do is like I want to improve our connection. And for me, our connection is hugely based on trust. And I feel like the trust gets a little fuzzy when you get a little fuzzy and like is that something we can work on or we can do together? Take some time and think about it. A day, a week, a month. Let's come back to this. Yeah, I like that you said this doesn't have to be a conversation right now. Like I'm just going to kind of lay it all out. And then like you go process it. Think about it, right? And yeah, yeah, you bringing in your stuff. Yeah. Think about it from like, okay, uh, if someone came up to you and boom, dropped all this on you, that's something that that person has been thinking about, if not for weeks, for months and for years. You have had such a head start on processing your feelings about this conversation and the other person doesn't know that this conversation or your feelings exist. So to think you can verbal diarrhea your side of years of processing and expect a good response from them immediately is unreasonable. That's such a great point because I think we do expect that too. We expect the person, our husband, our partner to hear it, to process it right away, and then to give us a response that feels good. Yeah. And that's generally not going to happen right yeah, away. No. And if it does happen, I'd be like, are you, 
are you okay? Right. Has your body been taken over by <laughs> right. another being? Is this you? Because it's a lot to process. Like even if my husband approaches me about – we don't ever like do this in front of the kids, but we both after the fact, there are times where he's like, hey, you raised your voice like a little bit at Charlie. Like that wasn't cool. And in my head, I'm like, I did and I know I did in the minute and I felt like a shitty parent when I did it. But my reaction that wants to come out is, no, I didn't. And you do that too all the time. That is <laughs> right. my natural gut reaction. Totally. Because we're trying to protect ourselves. Yes. So I think if you can say, hey, I know this is how you probably want to react and that's normal and that's why I just want to wait. Like you can just lay all that stuff out there so they don't have to do it or say it or like even process that that's what's happening, I think it makes it easier to absorb the information. Yes. And then you saying like, this is my trigger. Like, I know that part of it has nothing to do with you. Like, that's what I had to say to my husband too, where it's like, no, I'm bringing a whole lot into this conversation. Like, I'm bringing my background, my history, my family, all of those feelings are coming with me. And like, I'm aware of that. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, and for me, it was so linked to my biggest trigger is that Steve is an amazing human. And when either of us drink, we don't fight. Like, we definitely disagree. But, like, we would get into arguments. We would yell. And that is – I could see my parents' patterns, my dad's patterns in this alcohol-fueled arguments. And to me, okay, we're drunk. We have a fight we're getting divorced and the children are going to have to live in separate homes. It is that short of a leap for my brain. Yeah. Which is unreasonable, but it's true. But that's the wiring, right? My mom, the therapist, is always like, yeah, that's the wiring that's set. And so, of course, you're going to go there like immediately. And you have to then sit back and remind yourself like, oh, right. Like, I am not a little kid. Like, I'm in more control here than I was then. And my husband is not my dad and all of these things. But yeah, that's like, that's a quick leap that we obviously go to. Oh, yeah. And I mean, it doesn't happen nearly as much anymore. But that was my preface to a lot of conversations. Like, hey, I know you're not my dad. You are a very different person. And this is triggering X, Y, Z in me. But like, that is the first thing. I know you are not him. Right. (laughs) And it's still making me feel some kind of way. Totally. And the fact that he could hear that and then he kind of went on his own journey and he didn't ask you to join him, right? Correct. Like you guys were on your own. And so what made you say, was it just like that easy that you were like, well, okay, if he's not going to drink, then I don't have to either? I think for me, we weren't really drinking at home. And this was during COVID, like when I approached him and he decided to stop drinking. So most of the drinking, like it was regular. We would go to the Mexican restaurant and get the carryout. They made like this amazing like fresh fruit mix and get their margaritas. And that's what everyone would have. I was pregnant, so I wouldn't have it. I would just eat my body weight in like pizza or burritos. Good. (laughs) But part of it was that there wasn't that social drinking outside of our little like neighborhood group. Yeah. So that wasn't happening. And then when that did start happening again, I still drank. I did. Like if we went to La Margarita, he would get a virgin one and I would get a regular margarita if I wanted one. Yeah. But I would just have one and I would drink it way more slowly because it's not – it wasn't a way we were connecting anymore. And I remember – I think I talk about it in the podcast, like specifically one day where I was not really – I had not been drinking for probably six months and I needed to be drugged. I needed a Klonopin. I needed uh, like a Xanax. I needed something that was going to like do the job right now. I didn't have any of those things. And I was like, we have a bottle of rosé. I'm going to open it. And the whole thought process, like Steve was at home. I felt guilty. And I'm like, am I going to hide this from Steve? Do I tell Steve? Like all these things in my head, even though he wouldn't have cared. I just was judging myself. But I took a sip of it and I literally – I dumped the whole bottle out because it was gross. Yeah. Like you said, once you get used to not having the ethanol – yeah. Like it it wasn't good. And there are definitely like there are still things that do taste good. Like a really good glass of wine still tastes good to me. Yeah. But I don't have the cravings and I now have a better way of dealing with the emotions that come up that drinking kind of helped me deal with. Yes. Isn't that funny that like when I stopped drinking, I didn't know because I wasn't drinking daily. I wasn't like getting wasted. I was still using it to cope. And so I was like at the witching hour being like, okay, I need a glass of red wine, which I thought 
would help me relax and anxiety and all of that stuff that it just makes worse. Yeah. But what it made me do is just care less. And like sometimes it feels really fucking good to care less. Yeah. I mean, I think it's kind of like it's the joke, like which mom sitting around the soccer field actually has coffee in their canteen versus wine. And I'm like, I'm the mom with wine in my canteen, y'all. And, you know, not to judge that. Nothing is wrong with that. But like it does make you care less about the things that you don't want to care about. But you can't – there's no way to divide the things you care about. It's not like, okay, yeah. well, I care less, but I still care just as much about being present in this game for my kids. Like, if I've got a canteen of wine, like, this is a great soccer game. I don't care that it's freezing and I'm up at 8 a.m. and whatever. I put a splash of orange juice so I can pretend it's a mimosa kind of thing. Yeah. And a lot of people function like that. Right. It's so true. Like, you can't selectively not care. Yeah. (laughs) So, like, you cannot care then that it's 8 a.m. and it's freezing. But then you're also not going to care about, like, making sure you're cheering for your son or how you feel when you're going to drive home and, like, driving with kids in the car, right? Like, it's going to make you just not care about anything. It's shocking to me seeing people – they are drunk and they will just get in the car with their kids. I know. I know. I feel like when I was on the other side of it, I didn't notice it as much. Yeah. So I like I don't want to like I feel very judgy now that I'm like, well, I don't do that. I can't believe you did. But no, I can't believe you do that. Like it's one thing endangering yourself, but having the clarity to understand that you're endangering not only your kids, but literally every other human that's out is terrifying. Steve was walking home from a concert the other day and he walked by this this like dive bar and a guy was like wobbling out, taking his keys out, getting on one of those like douchey spider yeah. car bike <laughs> things. Oh, yeah, that was weird. Like yeah, yeah. never met a cool person that owns one no, of those. No, 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 no. Nope, none. And they were looking at his bike and the guy like popped off at him like, don't look at my bike, blah, blah, blah. Like could barely get his keys out of his Ugh. pocket, got on the spider and drove away. And Steve, he was like, my thought is like how many people are – on the road right now with their kids in the car. Like, dude, what is wrong with you? Yeah. Like, you're so selfish that that doesn't even cross your mind. And you're so overconfident that you're like, no, I got this. It's fine. And you got it, so you don't. Right. That's because it completely changes your brain, right? Like, Andrew Huberman talks about, like, our impulse control, our decision-making. It reminds me of that scene in Wolf of Wall Street when, like, Leonardo DiCaprio is like, granted, this was, like, quaaludes, but he, like, has to drive home and it's it shows him like he can't even stand and then he's like I got home fine and then it shows the car yeah, no, the reality of the situation <laughs> yes they, that's really what it is like I remember being drunk and you know when you're drunk and you think like you think you look great you think you're funny you think you're boisterous and like charming and in reality probably annoying as hell your makeup's messed up and you're slurring your words slurring your words you're a hot mess and really you don't even realize that because I think like as an adult when are we ever completely clear-headed with a clear mind around drunk people Mm -hmm. well that's what I was gonna say I think that's the tricky part so when people start to change and you don't it's uncomfortable for you because if we're all drinking we're yes. all that hot mess you and don't no notice. one is noticing any yes. of it. But when one person stops, then it's like, oh, you're changing the script. Yes. Do we all have to change the script? Is something wrong with me that I'm not doing what you're doing now? And it makes you look inside, which people don't really like doing. No. So being that, like, that odd man out that has stopped drinking, luckily now is a little bit just more socially acceptable than it ever has been. Yeah. It definitely is. I guess it depends where you are. Like, you and I are in the Midwest, which, like, (laughs) they like to drink. We're slow to pick up a lot of stuff. We're we're slow. We're behind. We're just behind on everything. But, yeah, it's like a mirror, right? Mm -hmm. And people are going to be like, oh, if you stopped, does that mean I have to stop? Like, were you? Are you judging me now? Like, right? Can we even be friends still? And are you gonna see me with clear eyes when I'm three glasses in? Right? Yeah. How did your social life change, or has it? <laughs> I don't really have much social okay, life. Good, me, me either. <laughs> I mean, you work. My moms, peak was high school. Yeah. I peaked in high school, and it's all been. <laughs> you did not. Since. You did not peak. In, I didn't know you in high school, but you did not peak in high school. <laughs> For me, I mean, there's like work functions or if like I'm at a speaking event and 
honestly, I think it's almost more uncomfortable for the person who'd be like, what can I get you a drink? Like, do you want a glass of wine? Do you want whatever? And I'm like, I'll just take a water. Like they feel bad almost. Yeah. I'm like, again, I think that's the reflection like, oh, well, if she's not like, does she care that I am? Right. And, And I don't. And I think just because there's just not a lot of opportunities. Like I go to girls night. It's supposed to be once a month, but it's it's not. That's like same. Like my group of friends were like, let's do this once a month. And then yeah. it's always a shit show trying to get everybody together. But there's eight of us and I really stopped drinking. And one of the other girls did a little bit more recently because she got a lot more into like health and stuff too. But the other six are six sheets to the wind. Yeah. And, you know, like we're all friends. So I'm not like – I'm not going to say like, okay, we're, we can't be friends anymore because you drink. You're an adult. Make your own choices. I love you. We have fun together. Yeah. You drink some wine and I don't. Well, and if that's like the bonding agent, then that's going to be an issue. You know what's super cool? Yeah. So Steve got – he was the first one that stopped drinking in his friend group. And one of his friends reached out – it's probably a year ago now and was like, hey, I want to do this. I don't know how to do it. Because for him, it was the social thing that was really hard. Yeah. And he found in Steve just like a support system. He would literally take Steve and he's like, I'm at a work event and I just need you to remind me that like there's a bigger picture because I feel super uncomfortable right now because I'm the only one not drinking and I feel like I should and I feel like I want to. And like they didn't used to bro out like that. Totally. Like support me in this way. (laughs) No. That's that's very impressive. and. Also, like a nod to what sobriety can do to yeah. be like, oh, right, there's a bigger picture here. Well, and your husband's a golfer too. Mine is too. And that, oh, yeah, it's the only time he has, and my boundary is two beers. Like, because if he has two beers, I feel like, okay, I don't feel unsafe. Like, it, there's not that edge. Yeah. But you know, when there gets the edge, like, that's what I'm like, yeah, I can't fuck with that. Like, that's, and so he'll have like one or two beers at the most, but it's just golf. It's like movie and a popcorn for him. Yeah. I think that's for a lot of golfers. It, yes. it, it really is. And Steve had the same experience, like, because that's the only really thing he does to socialize much either. And he doesn't even do it a ton. But the first time he was going out golfing, he was like, this is going to be weird because, you don't drink water. You just drink beer. Yeah. And that's the thing is like I think leaning into that, like it is going to be weird. Yeah. Because you've like never done – there's a lot of like the holidays coming up. Like holidays without alcohol might feel weird. Mm-hmm. But like that's as bad as it's going to get. I think a good tip though, so many – like if you're, if you're at your home, you can be prepared. You can have like whatever you're having for your mocktail or your seltzer. There are so many freaking options now. So many. There yeah. is – non-alcoholic bourbon that you can make in Manhattan with that tastes like a Manhattan. I know. Isn't so that crazy? Like the flavor. Yeah. For me, it's I like the flavor and I like the social aspect. Like, let's make yeah. this fancy drink together and you can make it non-alcoholic. So if you're not sure if you want to quit, like, try that. Like, like mock trial being sober. <gasps> mock trial mocktail. Yeah. Mock trial with mocktails. At your house, you can control it. When you're going somewhere else for an event, you usually want to bring something anyway. So bring a bottle of wine and bring a bottle of non-alcoholic wine or a six-pack of non-alcoholic beer. Like I've have, I have people that come to our house and bring non-alcoholic beer, not because they know we don't drink, but that's what they drink, so they bring it. So yes. you're not you know, making people uncomfortable because they don't have something they can offer you other than water. Yeah, and then you're not just stuck drinking water. Also, if you are hosting, like have – cool options. Like have something more than just water for people like us who are coming to your house. Yeah. (laughs) Have fun drinks. How do you think not drinking has affected like any of your work life stuff? You work in kind of a, I mean, it's like a male dominated field, right? Yeah. How has that affected it? Do you think? I don't think it's necessarily like specifically had a different effect on like my work versus my personal. I think the biggest effect overall has been, I mean, a few things I've done. Like I went through the six-month program that was like this business management. Really, I looked at it as like therapy. I did that. I stopped drinking. I just, I feel like I've aged more in the last few years, like as far as wisening up, I guess, and like really understanding myself more. And so the taking the drinking part out, I think, just kind of expedited having to feel my feelings Mm -hmm. and figure out, like, I am going to lose it right now. And instead of calling my contractor and blowing up, like, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to have a glass of wine. I'm going to take a breath. And now I just know, like, 
okay, I'm not going to sit down and have a glass of wine, but I don't pop off. I'm like, okay, anything I want to say right now, I can say in 20 minutes or in two hours or in two days or in a month. So just take a beat. And I think alcohol was my beat before, which then really just made it worse because then I got the balls and I'm like, (laughs) totally. Yeah. Yeah. Then that just cheered you on. It was like, no, you should say that. This sounds like a great idea. Yeah, this is the best idea. You have the best ideas, Nina. (laughs) That's so true. Like just taking that pause is huge. Taking a pause when you have a craving, taking a pause when you want to say something that maybe you shouldn't do something. Yeah. Like slowing down. I've never regretted not saying something. Yes. I've definitely yes. regretted saying something, texting something, emailing something, but I've never regretted waiting and giving myself some time because it's probably 50-50 whether I'm like, you know what, that didn't need to be said, that wasn't going to advance the conversation or the relationship or the situation. So just having the clarity to give yourself that time is nice because when I'm drunk, I'm like, no, you're just going. You're on autopilot. Yes. And you don't even know what you feel or what you need. Yeah. Like, I think that that's the biggest gift of sobriety is like being like, oh, this is how I feel. Yeah. And this is what I need. Not going to lie. It was very hard for about, I would say, between month three to six, there was a lot of processing and challenging emotions. And once I got past kind of like that hump at like the six month mark, I had like developed enough new coping skills that it wasn't like everything was the end of the world. And I I was I was feeling like I really want a glass of wine. Like it's not even part of my thought process now, but because it's just like one of those patterns, like you get up and you make the same cup of coffee every morning, it's a hard pattern to break. And so doing it for enough days in a row, you know, then you create new neurological pathways in your brain. And it's like, it's this concrete thing that's changing. Yes. But it takes a while to really understand that and then experience the benefits of that. Yeah. I think that's so true. And like, how awesome is it that we can change still? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I stopped drinking at 39. I'm like, I swear to God, I say this maybe every episode, but like going into your 40s, turning 40 sober, is like the best. Well, and I think whatever your reason is, I think yeah. maybe a way to do it, because I think a lot of people judge themselves if they are they feel like they should stop drinking. So if you can think of it in a way with your partner, even if you're posing it this way, like, hey, what fun vacation do we want to do? What have we been wanting to do that we don't have the budget for? Okay, we want to go to Cancun. Let's research this. Two of us, we need $5,000 to go to Cancun. So let's look at like just our last three months of what we spent. Okay, we have spent, let's even say it's $300 and it's probably a lot more than that a month on drinks. Let's give ourselves three months and put that money towards this vacation and take the vacation. And then if we want to start drinking again, we start drinking again. That's great. We drink on the vacation. But I think when you give yourself that excuse and like a good like a reason that doesn't feel like you're judging yourself, yeah, then it gives you time to experience the benefits, and then you can have a more clear mind and be like, yeah, you know what, I didn't have a problem, but I also really like this other kind of lifestyle, and we did save a ton of money. Now we can go to Cancun every year. Yes, it's that shift. It's how you're going to think about it, and that shifting your perspective and like reframing it will make all the difference. Yeah. Like it just will. And I I like the social part of it when, you know, you go to a party and they're like, hey, or you go out to dinner with your girlfriends and they're like, you want to split the bottle of wine? You're like, nope, we're saving up for Cancun. Like that's an easier answer than I'm not drinking right now because that leaves so many more questions. Well, why? Yeah. What happened? People need to understand. And if you can give them a reason then it just shuts down the discomfort immediately. So, nope, I'm good. I'm going water. All our alcohol money is going towards this. We are so excited. Yeah, that's a great tip, especially for like, yeah, those first three months when you don't know what the hell is going on, you don't want to answer forever, like all of that. Yeah. That's a great tip just to be like, no, I'm saving all the money I wasted on alcohol. For fill in the blank, whatever it is. Yeah. I want this new pair of shoes or a purse or whatever your thing is. Yes. Oh my God. I love that. What would you tell someone who's just kind of starting off? So in in the first week, like I know this is a hard question. Like what's one thing you would tell someone who's just starting? I think like with a little bit more hindsight, I would have like had more of those 
non-alcoholic options around. Like it's just in the last year, how many things there are is insane. Like we have these like seltzer cans. They're old fashions. They taste like an old fashioned. They're so good getting something like that. So you're not trying to tackle every facet of this at once. You're, You're literally just removing the poison. You're keeping the experience. You're keeping the tactile sensation. You're keeping the social aspect of it. You're keeping the habit of coming home and cracking open a whatever it is. Just make it a non-alcoholic beer. So just do that one thing and leave every other action in place. And then I think everything else is so much easier because that's the only thing that really matters. If you need to come home and crack something open that's refreshing every day, do that. Cool. That is like healthy, that's safe, that's self-care, that's what you need. Just do it without the poison. Yeah. And then when you see how much better you feel and you didn't even realize what alcohol was doing to you and your mental health and your physical health and your sleep and your patience and all of the shit. Yeah. Yeah. Then you once you have that amount of clarity, then you're like, okay, well, these like substitute beers are twice as much as my regular ones. And I don't really need that now that I've gotten over the addiction. Yeah. So I can just have, you know, lemonade or water or whatever it is. Yes. No, I love that. Oh my God. Everybody go listen to Mina's podcast, Mina AF. I love it so much. I've been on a deep dive. Thank you for no problem. all Thank of you. this. Tell everybody where they can find you, not like they don't already know. <laughs> Yeah, so the podcast is Mina AF, but on Instagram, I'm Mina underscore Starziak underscore Hawk. That is my personal page. So I have my business one that's two chicks and a hammer. A lot of people get them confused and do not like my personal one. But if they're listening to this podcast, they probably do. (laughs) We love the personal one. We love all the personal stuff here. Oh, my God. Okay, well, thank you. And congrats on the end of your show, too. Are you excited for the new chapter? Yeah, I don't. I literally have no idea what the chapter is. It's great. But it's exciting. It's scary. But I'm doing it. Yes, you are. You're rocking it. Mina, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Sober Mom Life. If you loved it, please rate and review it wherever you listen. Five stars is amazing. Also, follow me on Instagram at The Sober Mom Life. Okay. I'll see you next week. I'm going to go reheat my coffee. Bye. Addiction impacts all of us. Addiction's consequences run through all of us. From ourselves to our loved ones and through our communities, addiction creates so much loss and grief. My name is Dwayne Osterlin, and I'm the host of the Addicted Mind podcast, a show featuring personal stories, expert guests, and vital information about addiction and addiction recovery. We'll talk with leading treatment providers to discuss the latest research and treatment options for this devastating disease and advocate for mental health awareness. We discuss topics like the importance of creating a community of support to helping loved ones to some of the latest research on psychedelic medicines. The Addicted Mind podcast has been about creating hope listening to stories of many amazing people that have overcome addiction and are thriving. If you or a loved one is struggling with addiction, subscribe to the Addicted Mind podcast wherever you get your podcasts or check out theaddictedmind.com. New episodes every Monday. See you there.